Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 100. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. And thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be bringing to you my 100th podcast episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. It has been super fun and interesting for me to interview so many amazing, successful real estate investors. And today I wanted to share with you some of my best deals. I'm going to share with you today three deals and the lessons I learned from them because I'm always learning. I have now flipped about 220 homes in Southern California with my husband for the most part, some on my own. Um, more recently, most of them have been on my own as he has gone back to work in the corporate world. So the last couple of years, it's been mostly me and I'm still learning and improving all the time. So to begin with, I wanna tell you about a home that I acquired and flipped in a town called Lakewood, California. And the important thing that most people always are asking me is, how do you find deals? How do you finance them? And of course, how much money do you make? So I'm gonna share all those things with you on these three deals today. So my first deal that I'm gonna tell you about today is in Lakewood, California. Um, not too far from Long Beach. For those of you that know the Southern California area, maybe Long Beach is more familiar to you. How I acquired this home was from a realtor. She called me and said, Holly, I've got this client with a house and he's really motivated to sell. He needs to sell to be able to move to his next place. He's on the market for $525,000. I think he'd take a lot less and it really needs some updating. Like, okay, really? Um, I thought maybe it could sell for six twenty-five uh, when it was all fixed up. So that's a hundred thousand spread, which is okay. But we were going to add a whole bathroom in there and to add a bathroom and renovate, I thought this deal might be a little bit too skinny for me. But so I came back to her and said, the most I can pay is $475,000. And she brought it to him and he said, yes, I was shocked that something in the MLS for $525,000 could be bought for $475,000. Now I will say I allowed him to live there for free for, I believe it was one month after we closed. I did trust him where you can't always trust everybody that says they're going to move out of a house you own. Sometimes they intend to get out and can't, sometimes they never intend to get out and lie to you and say they're going to be um, moving out. But in this case, the gentleman did move out. I had to get really firm with him because at the end, he was a total hoarder. He had tons of things in the house and he wasn't getting it done. He was going super slow, driving car loads, not truck loads, but car loads of his belongings from his hoarder house all the way to, um, uh, Mesquite, Nevada. That was where he was moving to from Lakewood, California. And it was going so slowly over the course of those few weeks. So I called him and I said, Mr. Homeowner, I understand you're overwhelmed and you have a lot going on, but we have a contract and you promised me you would be out. And I couldn't believe it. He cleared out this whole house 
which was I think about 1400 square feet in a matter of a day. He, I could not believe it. A three bedroom house effectively totally cleared out. So I was very kind, but firm. And this man thankfully honored his word and got out. So I purchased that home for $525,000 and the challenges had only just begun. Within the first day of demo, the neighbor, um, I believe it was the next door neighbor, had called code enforcement and told them we were doing work without a permit. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of flippers do a lot of work without permits. When we're doing cosmetic um, renovations, we don't like to pull permits. I mean, technically, you're supposed to pull a permit to replace a toilet, to replace a kitchen faucet, like the smallest things. And most homeowners and a lot of contractors will not pull, pull permits for everything they do. It's just crazy. So within one day, I mean, we're just demoing in there and then code enforcement comes out, puts a stop work notice on us. Okay, we're going to pull permits. And we thought, I guess it will be better to pull a permit since we're adding a bath within the existing configuration anyway. So we go to pull the permit and um, this house was kind of interesting in the fact that it had a family room with a fireplace on the back of it that was added on in 1968. It was part of the square footage. It was also um, being used, it was fully like stuccoed and drywalled and a big huge wall of brick fireplace and a brick hearth. Um, there was not central air or heat to it. But other than that, I mean, it was a room that had been used as a room for 50 years. They paid property tax on it for 50 years. And yet the city came and told us, this is not habitable space. People can't live in it. Sure, they can use it like a family or whatever. They can't sleep in it. And you can't, you're going to have to tear it down or you're going to have to redo um, all the foundations because um, the codes had changed since 50 years ago. It was just a nightmare. My contractor had been there to the city multiple times. I went a couple times to pull permits. What we were trying to do was add a bathroom in this family room and turn it into a master suite. So it'd be a big bedroom with a bathroom, which is much more valuable than how the house was being used. It had two family rooms and two bedrooms. It's better to have three bedrooms and one family room much more value to the end user. So, oh my goodness, so many trips to the city, so much um, heartache and pain and stress. Like, how are we gonna do this? They let us keep it as um, enclosed patio. We um, disclosed when we sold the home that it is not habitable living space. The city permitted a bathroom for us. They came and inspected the full bathroom and the closet, they knew it was gonna be used as a bedroom, but technically in order to follow all the rules, we couldn't have it be a three bedroom house. Then they told us furthermore that we had to close up the garage access from the front bedroom or they would call the house a one bedroom house. So my contractor properly drywalled up the hole and um, went ahead and got the permit signed off. And then after the permit was signed off, um, with who we sold it to, we told the buyer, if we open up this door again, which we're happy to do for you, technically you have a one bedroom house, so it's up to you. We'll open it back up and give you garage access, or you can leave it as it is. And of course they wanted it reopened up. So after we had everything signed off, we reopened it and all was well. 
However, when we sold the house, so this was the, the tricky part. The buyers that bought the house really wanted to, um, they put an offer in before I even officially sold it. One of my little special techniques that I use when I go to sell homes, which will probably be less um, effective now that our market has kind of turned and it's less of a buyer's market, I'm sorry, a seller's market, um, is that I would put the house listed publicly in the multiple listing service and say no showings for five days or seven days. So the pictures are out there, people could drive by, they could pull flyers out, but they would not be allowed in the house until my first open house. The whole theory behind that that I have is everybody is um, all coming through the open house at once. They see everyone like, oh my gosh, there's so many people here. There's gonna be so many offers. And of course my flipped homes are beautifully redone staged and just perfect and really exciting for buyers. So um, there was this one realtor that called me right after I listed the home and she said, Holly, can I please get my buyers in? They're from out of area and they're in town now. Can I please just get them in before your open house? This was on a Monday night and the open house was Saturday. Like, wow, okay. So I always love the realtors that are kind of breaking the rules and let them feel special. So she got her buyers in and of course they loved it. What wasn't to love about this spectacular home that was all remodeled. And I listed it for 650 and she said, what's it going to take to get it now? They want it now before your open house. And I said, well, we listed at 650 expecting to get 675 because that was the nature of the market, you know, last spring when we were selling this house or maybe it was June, July. And she said, oh, okay, okay. So after some negotiating back and forth, we opened escrow at $680,000. Now, when we first bought the house, um, which was six months before, we had projected the after repaired value, what we would call ARV, to be six twenty-five dollars conservatively, hoping for more. But the market had increased so much that, and our costs ended up increasing too, Think. Thank goodness the market increased because otherwise I would have broken even on this house. Um, it was just a really nice, um, wonderful surprise. So we opened escrow and then the buyers thought maybe with the help of their realtor or maybe it was on their own. They were assuming, I'm sure that it wouldn't appraise for the 680 they had offered on it. And I know they were planning to come back and try and beat us up on price later and say, oh, it only appraised for... 670 so we can only pay 670 and that has happened to me in um, different markets like a few years ago it hasn't happened recently at all it appraised at 680 and the buyers were really disappointed i knew it so then they started coming at us to get um, price reductions and credits for other things they said okay well since it's only permitted as a two bedroom not a three bedroom you should give us a discount we said no we fully disclosed all of this to you properly and all of the real estate forms that we provided to them so we were we just weren't bending and then they were trying to just find anything they could to get the price down we ended up doing a couple of extra things in the house for them they wanted the washer dryer that i had put in the home because as the primary laundry doer in my family of six. Most of the kids are gone now, but I loved having indoor laundry. I never wanted garage laundry. So I put the laundry in the house. These people want it back in the garage. So we relocated that. 
gave them an extra little built-in pantry, did some other things, gave them a couple thousand dollar credit. They were happy. We stayed in escrow. So we basically sold it for $675 instead of $680 if you take that into account. But we closed the deal. Very happy, very successful. So my bottom line of that home was I made a net profit of $47,000. And that was pretty much with none of my own money. I had used what we call private investors to fund my deal. Uh, I think we had two, both a first and a second. I have um, a few investors that roll their money from deal to deal as far as what house they're secured on. So I had a first and a second, properly recording the notes and the deeds so that everything is properly done and they're protected and they feel good and they get their interest checks every month. So 47,000 with an investment of my own of pretty much nothing. So that is a really good return on investment. Now I will say when you first start out flipping houses, you shouldn't expect to be able to get financing completely from other sources. You should have your own money or maybe you have a friend or relative that wants to be in that trusts you. Because when you haven't done any deals, it's kind of a sketchy, risky business for people to invest with you. They want to know and see that you have a track record and that you have success and that you know what you're doing. So this one ended up um, going really well with a lot of pain and bumps on the road. And I mean, think about it. this is maybe my 200 and, you know, 15th house or whatever at this point in time. And I still had challenges with getting permits with the city. We'd never experienced a city telling us um, that's an enclosed patio. That's not permitted living space, even though it had been, you know, someone paid property tax on this indoor living space for 50 years and so many challenges getting the permits. Thankfully, my husband who used to work for a city approving permits and plans knows who to talk to, how to talk to them, how to speak their language, because I don't. That is not my thing. As a former CPA, I can speak finance and tax and 1031 exchanges and all kinds of tricky things about tax and finance. But when it comes to permits and that kind of thing, I'm like super thankful that I have him on my side. So lesson for you, get somebody on your team that has experience and knowledge that can help you when you run up against those things or when you experience and encounter difficulties and challenges, have a network of people that you can go to for help and resources to solve your problems. So that was deal number one, Lakewood, $47,000 profit. Yay, that was awesome. So moving on to the second deal that I want to talk about, it was in a town called Fontana. Now this is more inland, um, east of Los Angeles, lower price point. On this home, I purchased it for $220,000 and I resold it for $355,000 and I only had um, about $50,000, maybe $60,000 in renovation costs. So this one ended up really well also with a $45,000 profit. Now these profit figures I'm giving you are accounting for the fact that real estate commissions were paid. So it happened to be that I was a realtor that listed all these homes and got paid those commissions. But when you are flipping, if you're not a licensed realtor, you are going to have those costs. So I'm telling you the costs as if you are not the realtor and if you're paying a realtor the standard commissions. Which brings me to a point. Standard commissions in most parts of Southern California 
our 5% total with two and a half to the listing agent and two and a half to what they call the selling agent, or you guys might call them the buying agent because they sell the house to the buyer. So if you can get a real estate license or somebody who is licensed helping you out and um, reduce your costs, that will help you a lot. But these numbers I'm giving you do not include the realtor commission that I also made. I keep that in a separate bucket with my realtor income. So back to the Fontana house. How did I get this house? This house came to me um, from someone in my network. He called me and said, hey, Holly, my um, uncle needs to sell his house and it needs a lot of work. I was thinking of flipping it, but it's gonna be, I just don't really have the time. Would you be interested in buying it? I'm like, well, sure, I'd love to take a look at it. So um, we, I got my contractor out there. A lot of work was an understatement. This house was so um, in such a state of disrepair and needed so much work. And I can't remember if it was the electrical or the plumbing or both that actually ran outside the house. You'd see holes through the walls and then up the wall and back in the wall for um, plumbing and all kinds of weird things. Like I have never seen such problems in a house. Now, in the old days when we did auction houses, there would be houses with, um, what's a nice way to say this? Human waste or excrement smeared on walls and nasty things that people intentionally vandalize the house. But this house, it just had a lot of weird, as we'll call homeowner special, do-it-yourself weird things. Um, plenty of times in these lower price houses, they're owned or rented by people with some contracting skills and they do lots of creative things. They kind of know how to do things, but not all the way, or they're lazy or in a hurry and they don't do them the right way. So there was lots of cleanup there. And um, to my poor contractor's dismay, it was laugh and plaster, which is really a big pain to work with, improve, patch, deal with, which there was lots of patching um, things like that. We opened up some walls in it and um, did a beautiful renovation. It was a three bedroom, two bath. So um, it was only about 1200 square feet. So it's on the smaller size of some of the things we do. And so the renovation got done pretty quickly and easily. But I want to go back to how I acquired the house. So um, this gentleman called me up and said, would you buy my uncle's house? And I said, sure. It was owned free and clear. And of course, my favorite way to get financing for houses is from the owner. I said, would he be open to a seller carry just while I fix and flip the house? And he said, possibly. So what I do in that case is I present two different offer prices. I'd offered um, 220 if he carried for, you know, I tell him it's probably gonna be four to six months. Or I think I offered something like 180 if um, I had to pay cash for it. Maybe those numbers aren't exactly right. So, but in general, you know, there's a bit of a spread. There was probably only $30,000 spread there. And I offered him 10 grand up front. So he felt good, like I was putting something in. And we recorded the note on the property. And he was happy because, I mean, the house was sitting there um, not doing anything. I think he had one nephew living in the house who wasn't paying rent so he was happy for um, cashing out effectively gave him a little bit of cash up front 
And then at the end of the fixing of the house and the reselling, he got completely paid off and was really happy. He got a higher sales price than had I had to pay cash. And he trusted me. He felt comfortable with me. And then the man that knew me, who was the nephew, it was his uncle selling it. Of course, he felt comfortable with me. So that made everybody feel comfortable. You definitely have to have rapport and trust if you're going to ask somebody to um, be your bank and to carry for a few months. So in this case, it worked out really well. And when I asked um, the, let's see, the seller's nephew, I'm like, oh, so what made you give me a call to buy the house? Because I know in a, a few years ago, we talked to them about them investing money with us, and then they decided not to, which was fine. He said, well, I've seen a lot of your videos on Facebook, so I know you know what you're doing. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I have put a lot of videos of me on job sites, walking through, teaching anyone who wants to hear about different components or aspects of houses, like what's a weep screed, and this is what it looks like behind a wall, and this is the electrical, and this is the plumbing, and here's the design of how we did the shower, just all that kind of stuff. And it really paid off. I probably have a couple hundred videos at this point on Facebook and YouTube. Um, where you can watch those if you're interested in any of the behind the scenes, behind the walls aspects of flipping houses. So I was really excited that the Facebook videos have paid off. So there's a lesson to you. Um, if you're not afraid of the camera, uh, definitely make some videos of you on job sites showing before and after. It builds up trust, builds up your credibility, builds up your authority, and then people are more open and willing to do deals with you. So that was Fontana. I think um, the bottom line of that one was I think I made $60,000 on being out of pocket about $50,000. So that was a really good um, return on investment. And if you annualize that, you know, multiply that by two, that's like really good. Because whenever you're calculating return on investment, you have to adjust it in my opinion for a year. So if you flip a house in six months and you make, say you make $25,000 on 50, that's a 50% return on investment. But if you annualize it, you would double it because you could do that two times in a year. You're making 100% per year on your money. So anyway, if you guys have questions about that, definitely put um, questions in the comments. I'm happy to um, address any of those because I've, I've definitely got that math brain from being a former CPA. Um, the last house I want to tell you about um, was in Cypress, California. So this one, I guess, wasn't too far from Lakewood. This was in Orange County, so on the north end of Orange County. And this one I got from a realtor once again. She had a friend who had this house and this friend, um, Andy, I'll even tell you his name. Andy came to her and he said, oh, I want to sell my house, but my kids are living in it and I, I need so much work. I don't know what to do. She was overwhelmed. So she came over to me and said, Holly, why don't I, may, this might work for you as a flip. I said, okay, great. I went and checked it out. Oh yeah. It was definitely kind of a hoarder house. I felt really bad for, um, the kids that were living there too, because it was really dirty, really um, lots of trash in the house and they'd had a rabbit. And so there was rabbit, 
excrement throughout the house too. I mean, it was just a mess. So with him, I offered instead of seller carry, he had two loans on it. And I asked if he would leave the loans in place while I flipped it and I would pay him the difference up front um, in cash as a down payment. And he was more than happy to do that because once again, there was a price differential. I'll give you this much if you carry and this much if I have to pay cash. I think the difference on that one um, was probably $30,000. And he was he was really excited to watch the whole process too. This was a home he lived in himself many years prior, but um, he had moved on, moved elsewhere, and let one of his kids live there with her boyfriend and her his grandkids, and it had really gone downhill. His house was built in the 60s. It had a swimming pool, and it cleaned up beautifully. One of the things um, that came out in that house was the contractor I had hired, um, she uh, wasn't doing the work, but she had guys working for her. And we, I wanted to take out a wall between the living room and kitchen because so much of our architecture here in Southern California in the um, 60s, 70s, and 80s, all up to the 90s was very compartmentalized, didn't really have the open floor plan that started in the late 80s and early 90s. But even then, there's still a big separation between formal living and dining room and casual living and dining room. Well, in this case, I wanted to just open this house up. So her contractor, um, my contractor's subcontractor went in there and just knocked out the wall. And I had my husband come by who has a background in engineering. He's a civil engineer with his degree. And he walked in there and he's like, oh my gosh, Holly, this wall is this um, wall was a support wall. We need to put something back in here because it's, it's going to fall down over time. It wasn't falling down in the moment, but thankfully my husband knew, you know, he understood a lot more about that and the beams and the joists and which way they're running and what's supporting what. So lesson learned for me, you can't always rely on contractors. Like you might want to get a second opinion of an engineer or a contractor that you really trust before they just go knocking out walls because they think they know what they're doing. So we did put a post back in to support the whole ceiling. Um, even though it's a single story house, there's a big ceiling and roof to support. So we got the post back in, everything worked out just fine. We incorporated it into the corner of the island that I put in the kitchen. Islands are big and popular. I'm always trying to put islands in, not even the peninsula, but just like a separate island with bar stools. That has definitely become a hot design trend in the last couple of years. So everything worked out. Um, my husband kind of freaked out a little bit in the moment, but we got everything supported and put back together. Okay. Um, with that one, we also had a, all three of these homes. I was very blessed to be selling in a seller's market. So back on Fontana, um, I didn't tell you this, but once again, I had no showings until the open house and we waited till the open house. Uh, we were asking, I think 350, but I, there was enough people at the open house and the one buyer we had was so excited about it. She offered us 355 and I, I told her, I said, well, we had a lot of people at the open house. Uh, if you want it, it's gotta be 355. She said, oh, fine, that's fine, I'll, I'll take it. So, I mean, that's another negotiating strategy that I use is when we are on the market. I love when I have multiple offers on this one that was in Cyprus. I believe I had 13 people that wanted to 
um, offer. They either offered or gave me verbal offers. And on that one, I ended up selling it for $7.35. And um, I made a net profit on that one of $60,000 with only about $50,000 um, out of my own pocket because the seller was carrying. And then I think we had another private investor on that one. So that one went really well too. The realtor that sold it to me, um, I it never got listed. We didn't put it through all the tons of real estate forms, which is a big pain with all the disclosures. I said, I'm fine without any of that. So I bought it directly from the seller, um, paid him our agreed upon price, and then I paid the realtor, I think it was um, $20,000, whatever she would have made you know, listing the house. So um, it worked out great for her and worked out great for the seller. So there is some of the lessons that I have learned um, from three of my house flips in the last year, some of the more interesting ones. And they're all interesting. They, it seems like every house has something noteworthy about it, good or bad. And I'm always trying to be open-minded, learn my lessons and improve going forward. So speaking of that, having flipped over 220 houses now, I'm always being asked for advice and help and I'm finally ready to help uh, mentor people. So come January 2019, I'm going to be launching a program where I will mentor a small group of people. And if you are interested in learning about that, you just go to hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. I'm going to be teaching the fast track to flipping. I am having some additional, I'll call them experts, come and join me. Some of the people that I've learned from one of um, whom I just have so much respect and I've learned so much from him. His name is Michael Stevenson. He is a neuro-linguistic programming trainer. What is neuro-linguistic programming? It's, um, if I define it right, the science of training your brain and your mind with words, what you want. For, I love defining it this way. So for instance, when I had little kids that had to take baths, I would not ask them, do you want to take a bath now? Are you ready to take your bath now? You have to give them a question that can only have an answer that you like. So I would say, do you want to take a bath with bubbles or without bubbles? And then th their brain goes and picks one or the other. Their brain is not figuring out, how do I fight mommy that I don't want to stop playing and take a bath? So it's the same thing um, when you're dealing with contractors when you're dealing with sellers, when you're dealing with vendors. There's so many things where you can use these skills that help you get what you want. And um, Michael's also really great at sales training. So I've worked out with him to be part of my mentoring program to train uh, my students with the, the proper mindset for wealth, how we can turn up our financial thermostats and be adjusting our brains and our minds to um, be open and accepting of making more money and being comfortable with that, which I know may sound weird. Who wouldn't want more money? But there's plenty of people that make money and then lose it if they don't have the right mindset. And also he'll be training us on sales because everything is sales. Whether you're selling your kid on taking a bath or you're selling um, your spouse on, you know, why you want to do this program. If you're selling a seller on why they should sell you their home versus the 10 other postcards that they have in their hand, all of that. So I'm going to be offering a lot of training that I have learned over the last 10 years to help me be 
successful in this house flipping venture that I still love and still do. I have nine flips right now going at various stages, which is probably more than I should have, but it's, um, it's all moving forward. It's all exciting. So I would love to have you join me. I will be doing a free masterclass in January to talk more about this. So if you're interested in being on the list for the masterclass, go to hardhatholly.com forward slash flip and would love to have you there. And I'm going to teach a lot of things um, additionally in the masterclass, even if you decide not to move on with our mentoring program, which is fine. I'm always happy to teach and share, as you know, from um, watching and listening to my podcasts and videos. I just can't help myself. I love to help people. So with that, thank you so much for listening to episode 100. Look forward to seeing and hearing your comments. Definitely, you can reach out to me at hardhatholly.com, email me through there, or find me on Facebook at hardhatholly and look forward to hearing from you. So whether you've started flipping or you haven't, hopefully some of these things I shared with you today can help you get out there, take some action, and I can't wait to hear about all your success stories. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show and let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.